0: All right, Alexander, we have very big news. Um, Iran and Saudi Arabia will be uh, restoring ties, diplomatic ties, in what is a China-brokered deal. Um, embassies will, uh, will open. Um, what else? Uh, diplomatic ties are are gonna are gonna uh, start up between Iran and Saudi Arabia all of this was done with uh, China mediating Wang Yi said Saudi Arabia Iran talk in Beijing is victory of peace that is what uh, Wang Yi said this follows the uh, coming coming off of uh, Xi Jinping's um, election as as a leader for the third term in, in a row. That that happened uh, yesterday as well. Three three terms, right? Absolutely, three is, terms. His yeah, third, term, yeah. Yeah, so, third term. So well, well-timed, well-timed by, by China, this announcement. A big couple of days in China. And this is huge news uh, for Saudi Arabia, for Iran, the petrodollar, Syria... Lebanon. I mean, the whole region. This is this is yes. very, very big news. This is huge news. And can I just
1: say, um, looking back over the last day or so, there were precursors to this because yesterday, Iran uh, um, announced that it had agreed a military deal with the Russians to import Suhoi-35 fighter jets. And I have to say, I did a... Little surprised me, because I did wonder what the Saudis would think about it. And yesterday also, there was a telephone conversation between Putin and President Raisi of Iran, and the Kremlin readout was incredibly uninformative about what the two men discussed. But clearly all of this is all part of this Chinese broker deal. And... Chinese have obviously been working incredibly hard to bring the Iranians and the Saudis together, and the fact that there's been this deal done means that the Russians are able to go ahead with the arms sales to Iran. Probably Iran will pay not with weapons, no, not with money, but with economic links and other you know drone transfers and that kind of thing. So just, just, just to make that point. Now this is huge. It transforms the geopolitical geometry of the Middle East. I mean, one of the constants in Middle East politics for the last, ever since the fall of the Shah, was the rivalry between the Saudis and the Iranians. Now, I mean, they didn't all, I mean, quite a lot of the time they did have diplomatic relations, but they were, were always rivals, they were always tense, they were always opposed to each other. It now looks from the Chinese announcement that all of that is now behind us. The Saudis and the Iranians have generally generally made peace with each other. That means that the Iranian-Saudi rivalry is over. That isolates Israel to some extent. That isolates the United States to a great extent. Because it's relied on Saudi Arabia as you know the, to enable it to carry out its strike against Iran, it undermines the U.S sanctions regime against um, Iran, because of course it means that Iran can now more actively participate in OPEC, and, which it was a founding member, by the way. So you know trade links are going to presumably be unblocked. Um, It means that Saudi Arabia, for its part, can integrate with the BRICS and with Shanghai Cooperation Organization, as Iran is also doing. It means that we're now making another massive step, as you absolutely rightly said, to the creation of the alternative reserve currency to the dollar, because two of the biggest oil producers... Saudi Arabia and Iran have come together and they're aligning increasingly with the Chinese. And to a lesser extent, obviously, but still they're important there, the, the Russians as well. And of course, last but not least, I can't help but think that this is also going to have an effect on relations in on, on, on politics in Turkey. The Turks can now see the direction that events are taking in their region. They won't want to be left out. And as you absolutely rightly say, it brings us a huge step closer to the moment when the Syrian
0: war ends. Yeah, I was going to ask you a lot of a lot of what you touched upon. I was going to ask you, but let me just ask you again. Okay, Israel, Uh, what does this mean for Israel, especially at a time when uh, the Netanyahu government has real problems, domestic problems? inside of Israel. Uh, What does this mean for Israel? That's the first point. What does this mean for the American troops in Syria and the U.S. that's occupying northeastern Syria right now? They are, right now, they must be feeling very, very isolated. Yes. Yes. Surrounded. Very isolated and surrounded. And my third uh, question are we going to see an end to the war in Yemen now?
1: Yeah, right. All very good questions. Let's start with Israel. I mean, this is a major blow for Israel. I mean, a you know geopolitical blow because um, Israel's biggest ally in the Middle East, even though they don't have diplomatic relations with each other, but Israel's key de facto ally has been Saudi Arabia. Uh and of course Israel's biggest enemy in the middle east has been iran now what it's seen is that its key ally has made peace with its greatest enemy so in effect israel has lost its key ally inevitably its position in the middle east has just become very much weaker now I don't think this is a threat to Israel's existence or anything of that kind. I think, you know, this is a. We're, we're long past the point where Israel was threatened in that kind of way. But it does mean that Israel's position as, in some ways, the dominant political power in the Middle East, you know, internal power in the Middle East, has now been weakened. And it also means that. From an Israeli point of view, a strike on Iran has now become immeasurably more difficult. I mean, I presume they could still do it, but they wouldn't be able to use Saudi airspace in the way that they once could, or at least if they did, they'd have to do it without the Saudis' permission, which is as far as I can see, deeply problematic, to say the least. So this is a very big blow for the Israelis. It's a very, very big blow for Netanyahu, who's positioned himself over many years as the person politically who is best positioned to lead this fight against Iran. And Netanyahu has, with some justification, prided himself on his diplomatic skills And he was absolutely key to building up this de facto alliance with the Saudis. And, of course, it's fallen apart. And with the collapse of that alliance, there will be more people in Israel saying, well, what exactly is Netanyahu giving to us? What is he providing us with that uh, we need him? anymore at a time when as you correctly say he's politically challenged now there is one thing and i'm not saying that this is the case but there is one thing that perhaps israel might take from this and that is that i personally find it difficult to believe that this agreement could have been reached with the saudis um if iran had not given the saudis some kind of commitment that Iran will not move forward to develop nuclear weapons. Okay, so I I think that perhaps as part of this deal, Iran has taken the issue of nuclear weapons finally off the agenda. This is a guess, by the way, but I think that's likely. In which case, if the Israelis really are worried about nuclear weapons in Iran, well, at least that threat perhaps has gone the fact by the way that the russians are also prepared to provide fighter jets to iran and you can be sure that russians have been absolutely up to speed with all the discussions is also i would suggest a further sign that the iranians are given cast iron commitments that they're not going to see nuclear weapons so Yes, as if the Israelis are really worried about a nuclear-armed Iran, unlikely it's going to happen. Now, that's, that's one thing. Now, let's turn to Syria and those American troops. Now, the Americans have clearly got wind of this affair because none other, no lesser person than Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, rushed to Syria, spoke to the troops in Syria, the US troops in Syria, You're absolutely correct. I mean, they've already been looking precariously isolated. Now it seems to me that their position long term is utterly untenable. Because with Iran, Saudi Arabia coming together, with Saudi Arabia, it looks in the process of carrying out what you might call a diplomatic revolution, which is to say realigning with the Eurasian states it, it seems to me utterly reckless to keep those American troops there where they're becoming a target potentially for the Turks for the Syrians for all sorts of other people and where their supply lines must be becoming increasingly precarious and you know the the, the from which the U.S. can support them are, are, are gradually isolated one by one. I mean, for the US, to be clear about this, this is a catastrophe. I mean, a, a reconciliation between Saudi Arabia and Iran is almost the worst geopolitical nightmare, and it demonstrates the extent to which decades of neocon policies in the Middle East have resulted in the collapse of American influence there. So that's, that's what I think. I think sooner or later, those troops will have to be withdrawn because, realistically, their, posi- their position now has become untenable. And thirdly, we talked about the war in Yemen. Again, just as I cannot see the Saudis agreeing to this kind of peace deal with the Iranians, unless the Iranians gave cast-iron guarantees that they were not going to seek nuclear weapons. Just so, I can't see the Iranians committing to this peace deal without some commitment from the Saudis to seek a genuine peace agreement in Yemen. And I suspect that over the next few weeks and months, we're going to see direct negotiations between the Saudis and the Houthis. And, of course, the Chinese have demonstrated their diplomatic skills and they're the obvious people to broker a compromise.
0: Haven't we been saying on this channel show after show that, uh, that the U.S. is so absorbed, the Biden White House is so absorbed in Ukraine that they are losing the geopolitical diplomatic war? Everywhere else, and I think that uh, this this is proof to that. This is huge I'm, proof to that. Uh, yeah, I, I have to ask you: China is the new global leader. Yes, I mean, it is, is that I'm, is that a it, is, is that a correct statement to make? They are the new global leader. All countries now are going to be looking towards China. Perhaps, maybe even Israel. Dare I say? Perhaps, maybe even Israel may be saying that Netanyahu may be saying, you know. Things are changing in the world, and maybe we need to, to rethink our our position here, uh, as well. And uh, the, the the China Russia alliance. This is, I mean, this is proof that, that it is changing the the game in the middle east i mean they may have unlocked a way forward for for some sort of uh of peaceful coexistence in the region case in point being yemen
1: yes
0: and absolutely. and and then you have to ask the question what does this mean for the petrodollar brics the sco all these things i mean the, the, i just want to say that the biden white house is you can't say sleeping you know, you would probably say they're sleeping, but they're not. They're completely obsessed and absorbed with yes. Ukraine. That, and they're and they're the ones that are always talking about hybrid wars. We're going to do hybrid wars in Georgia and in Moldova. Meanwhile, we have the the, the deal of the of the decade brokered by yes. China.
1: Absolutely, you're completely right, and absolutely, I mean, there's, I, 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 you're you're totally right in what you said. Now, for decades, especially in the Middle East when it came to mediation, the United States was the only game in town. I, mean, I You have to go all the way back to 1965 when there was a conference in Tashkent when the Soviets uh, brokered uh, a truce between India and Pakistan um, during a, it, one of the various Indo-Pakistani wars. And, um, and that was only a temporary thing, by the way. It didn't really hold. But this looks like This is much more solid and much more real. The Russians, of course, also brokered, came to kind of agreement with with Turkey and Iran, the Astana process to settle the situation in Syria. But these Russian brokered deals, I mean, they're not epochal like what we've just seen China achieve between Saudi Arabia and Iran. I mean, no way so this is as you absolutely rightly say it is china becoming a world leader a global leader it is if you like the moment when china seized the initiative and established itself as you know the successor if you like the the definitive successor of the united states this this deal perhaps more than anything else we've been talking about, is the moment when you could say the unipolar moment has really ended and the, the, you know, the American period of global dominance and hegemony has really ended and the era of China has
0: begun. It also demolishes the, the decades and decades of US sanctions on Iran. It demolishes all of that. Um, well timed, very yes. well timed by China to coincide with Xi Jinping, yeah, his third term. I mean, the Biden White House, the the State Department of the Biden White House has shown how incompetent they yes. really are. I mean, yes, this is complete incompetence. W- what what are they going to do to try and spoil this? Well, good question.
1: I I mean, the only thing they can do, because, I mean, you know, they've been throwing everything they have at Iran (laughs) over the last uh, um, decades, and it's never worked. By the way, before I continue with that, can I just make a point that this, of course, also vindicates the Raisi um, Khamenei faction within the Iranian elite? I mean, there was always that battle between so-called liberals and so-called conservatives. The Conservatives won the, election, uh, the elections last year with Raisi becoming president um, uh, and they pursued a much more hardline policy towards the US. They showed less um, interest in working with the US but they have pulled off with Chinese help what, you know, liberal governments in Iran, so-called liberal governments in Iran never managed, they've pulled off this deal with Saudi Arabia, and they've consolidated Iran's position in, the, in, 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 in its neighbourhood as a major political player. So I think we have to now accept this fact that this government in Iran is here to stay, not just you know, the Islamic Republic, but this particular faction within the Islamic Republic. After a win like this, I have to say it looks unchallengeable on its own ground. So I think that's the that's first point to say. But you're absolutely right. The, the, the Biden administration, they've been out of the picture. They've been uninterested in what's going on. All those decades of US foreign policy engagement in the Middle East, going all the way back to the 50s, and it's all gone up in smoke. I mean, an entire region is now breaking away from the United States. And it's all happened whilst the angry old man in the White House and the people around him are fixated on Ukraine.
0: Uh, Final question. Uh, Can you get into uh, a little bit of the petrodollar, OPEC? Uh, We've done many reports claiming that MBS is definitely leaning towards towards BRICS and and China-Russia. I think this is... This is more proof that MBS is, is definitely uh, drifting away from, uh, from the petrodollar from the U.S. Absolutely.
1: Can I just also come back to your other question, which is what can the U.S. do? The only thing the U.S. can do, I think, in this kind of situation is try to uh, somehow oust MBS and uh, uh, change policy in Saudi Arabia. Now, I think this is a very complicated and difficult thing to do. Now, because um, I, I'm increasingly getting the sense, you remember we did that programme some months ago about you know, MBS shifting position. We said that he was taking a, a very high-risk gamble by doing it because he was going cutting against what the Americans would want. But I get the sense that this isn't just MBS now. I, I get the sense that the Saudi princes have consolidated around MBS and have agreed with this policy shift that they've also become increasingly disillusioned with the US. They feel that the US has repeatedly left them hanging out to dry. And besides which, you know, they're not, they're far from stupid people, whatever you may think of the Saudis. They're able to see who is the rising sun and who is the setting sun. They compare Xi Jinping to Biden, whom they've never liked, and, you know, they, they they could draw their own conclusions. I mean, you know, they prefer to go with those who look like winners than with those who look like losers, the people who also are more likely to buy their oil than those who want to experiment in newfound, newfangled technologies, you know, with doubtful outcomes. So, you know, you can understand why the Saudis, and not just MBS, might be making these kind of calculations. So I I, I think that they might try something in Saudi Arabia. The US has very, very long-standing and very deep ties with Saudi Arabia. But I'm more confident that MBS can see it off than um, I was when we did that programme a few months ago. Certainly, there hasn't been a whisper of dissent within saudi arabia that i'm aware of suggesting any real opposition to this gigantic realignment which we have seen and i need to say quickly that i, I owe oh, mbs of all people an apology i never thought i never took him seriously when he became a uh, um, crown prince i thought he was doing all sorts of crazy and foolish things he's matured stabilized learned his way round and has done something which, personally, I never thought Saudi Arabia would ever do. So, you know, credit to him. I mean, I I may not like him as a human being, but as a political leader, he has achieved remarkable things in this. Now, petrodollar, oil, reserve currency status of the dollar, which to be very clear, is the big deal. It's the big one. Now, Let's just go back to why the dollar is the world's reserve currency. The reason the world, the dollar is the world's reserve currency is twofold. Firstly, the United States has the world's biggest economy. Or it did, except probably it doesn't anymore. China's manufacturing industry, I recently discovered, is bigger than that of the US and, Euro, uh, and the EU combined. So... China is already in manufacturing, in production terms, a bigger economy than the US is, much bigger. In terms of GDP, nominal GDP, that's not the case. In terms of GDP calculated on purchasing power parity, that is the case. Now, nominal GDP, US nominal GDP, depends to a great extent on the value of the dollar and what props up the dollar what keeps it valuable what is the reason why everybody wants it is because it is the reserve currency so you can see how it's circular people want the reserve currency of the world's biggest economy but the reason the us today appears on nominal gdp to be the world's biggest economy is because the dollar is the reserve currency? It's becoming a circle, and it's becoming an increasingly fragile circle. So that was one thing. The other thing was the Americans and the Saudis did this deal way back in seventy-three, when uh, when you know the um, first the dollar came off the Bretton Woods system. You know, severed the link to oil. Then there was the Arab oil embargo the americans did this deal with the saudis whereby the saudis agreed that in future all payments for oil would be in dollars and because of because saudi arabia dominated opec at that time and was the world's biggest exporter they were able to arrange for everybody in opec to do that and that meant that oil was globally traded everywhere in dollars even russian oil was exported in in dollars now oil is still the world's most widely traded commodity oil is still important is still essential to running a modern economy despite all the talk about this newfangled technologies that I'm talking about, you can't have a modern industrialized, even non-industrialized modern economy unless you have oil. So because oil is both essential and traded in dollars and is the world's most widely traded commodity, that means that every country has to have some dollars because they have to buy oil, which is priced and paid for in dollars however that all depends on the oil producers accepting dollars for their oil now if the oil producers start to say well actually it's no longer so important for us to take dollars for our oil we're prepared to accept other currencies then of course the whole position of the dollar as the country, the currency in which oil is traded starts to crumble and the reserve currency status of the dollar crumbles as well even as the other prop for the dollar's position the perception that the United States is the world's biggest economy is crumbling as well. Now, if Saudi Arabia and Iran, two of the key oil producers, join the BRICS, then you have three of the biggest oil exporters, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Iran, together as members of the BRICS. If the BRICS then set up a reserve currency in competition to the dollar and say we will only trade our oil in return for payment in this reserve currency, then the petrodollar is dead, and this new reserve currency becomes not just the currency, it becomes, in effect, the new reserve currency taking the place of the dollar. Now, we're not there yet. There's still some way to go. Uh, I mean, this is a difficult thing to work out, a new reserve currency. Remember that the RMB, the Chinese currency, isn't, um, isn't freely convertible. The ruble is, but only up to a point because Russia now has capital controls. So it's a, the, 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 there are problems, but they are not insuperable problems. They may take some years to iron out, but we're now clearly
0: set on that road yes we are um i can't help but think that all of biden's shenanigans and bad-mouthing mbs and putting him on trial and uh the g7 and their oil price caps and all of these things I i think it it just brought mbs to a point where he said you know what I'm done with these jokers. I'm glad just, you, you're absolutely yeah, I right. I mean, and
1: I'm glad you brought up the oil, like this, the oil price cap yeah. because, as we discussed in many programs, I mean, inevitably all the oil producers were going to see that as a threat to themselves, including the Saudis. Because if the United States is able to set a price for Russian oil, why should it stop at Russian oil? Why should it not do the same to every other oil producer as well? And the Russians have pointed this out. And, of course, MBS could see the logic. And you're absolutely right. You know, this administration, and I get to say this, has done more damage to the U.S.'s international position than every other U.S. administration since the war combined. I mean, you know, people criticize George W. Bush or Lyndon Johnson or Jimmy Carter or take your pick. You know... They're, they're not even in the game here with Biden. The damage Biden has done is both far greater and almost certainly permanent. I mean, you could you could find a way back from Jimmy Carter's failures. You won't be able to find a way back from Biden's. Yeah. All right. Remember, we'll remember uh, what he was the, saying. The direct- Remember what he was saying a few days ago, yep. where, you know, at the State of the Union place. Well, who would want to be in Xi Jinping's place? Well, we can see, we can we'll see, see now. We can he see. He was now running how well, his mouth. Exactly.
0: Yeah. He was running his mouth, and uh, and look at what Xi Jinping has just uh, delivered to him. Exactly. To him. Exactly. Yeah, that's an excellent point at the State of the Union. And everyone was clapping
1: and and all of Congress
0: was clapping. And now look. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, TheDuran.locals.com. We are on Rumble. We are on Rockfin. And go to the Duran shop. 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.